with join in progress spectation. Oh, oh so, so the, game, the, is, lobby the list, game is going on. If you go to the lobby list, you'll see five games in progress. If we didn't have that, yeah. it would just look like no one's playing the game. Yeah, no, that's a really clever. I'm actually going to um, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today we are talking to independent game developer Andy Schatz. Andy is the founder of Pocket Watch Games and is best known for his work on Monaco and Tooth and Tail. This episode was recorded March 23rd, 2018. Okay, well, let's talk about the actual like development and design of of, uh, of Monaco a little bit then. Sure, yeah. Um, all right, so you decide you want to change the lighting system to be like more, you know, like more not blocky to be like yeah, right. Like, There's originally like roguelike lighting in the uh-huh. sense that an entire title a tile would would Was become visible or, or invisible, right. and I changed it to be geometric, so cones. Yep. Um, and smooth cones as you walked around the corner. Actually, it still runs the tile-based visibility behind the scenes. Oh, really? Um, Is that what actually matters? Uh, for lighting, I believe, yes. For visibility, I think no on the visibility. Okay. I, some There are some aspects of visibility where I think, yes, it runs on the, the tile-based visibility and in some... In, and, but doing the, the basic, can I see... Can I see a direct line? It uses the the, the cone based visibility. Right. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I had to just sort of invent that math. I'm, I'm smarter people than me <laughs> could would have done a better job. Okay. There's still bugs where you can like walk up to a corner and all of a sudden you can see through the entire wall. Okay. <laughs> um, right. And um, but we did interesting stuff. We we um, like all of the level data we built into steganography. So it was built in. So there's like a when you when you build a level in the editor, it creates a side view of the the level, a sort of artistically uh, um, generated side uh-huh. view of the the level. Right. Um, and then it embeds the actual level data using steganography into the image. What's steganography? Um, uh, Steganography is where you hide data in into images. So what you can do is, with um, with images, there's there's in, in a PNG there's there's four channels of color. There's right. RGBA, mm-hmm. right? It's a thirty two bit color. Right. If you just flip the um, the the lowest the lowest bit mm-hmm. of the R, the G, the B, or the A. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change the color much. Right, right. Um, you know, your perception of that color is not going to change very right. much. So you can use those bits mm-hmm. um, to embed data. Okay. And it's generally something that unless you take it into Photoshop, you up the saturation, you zoom way in, you might notice that there's a little bit of noise in the upper left-hand corner, uh-huh. but on nearly imperceptible noise in the right. upper left-hand corner because you're only talking you know, one 256th yeah. um, change to to just the red channel, right. you know, okay. or just the green channel. Yeah. And what were you using that for? Uh, embedding level data. Um, so if you wanted to share, if you wanted to build a level in the editor and you wanted to share it with someone. Oh, it was you, just a picture. It, it was just a picture. Okay. That's the um, way... Uh, Spore did it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. You know, I was like, okay. I didn't, I didn't know what the details of how it worked, but I understood like the basic concept that there was like some extra data like, right. kind of jammed in that <laughs> the picture somewhere. And yeah, for, for a lot of people, it was like magic. They're like, how did you, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, how did that even work? Okay. So like the actual <laughs> where the walls are and like the actual details mm-hmm. of the, where the coins are and whatnot was... Right. Okay, that's really cool. Where did people use the map editor a lot? Did that yeah, oh yeah, so super. Um, Steam Workshop went nuts for really? for the map editor. Yeah. Okay, cool. Are there any ones that you saw that like like um, made you like change the way you thought about the game? Like, I, I guess I'm trying to say like often modders will do things that like you didn't necessarily think of yourself, right? So, well, I don't know that we really gave enough tools to be to to really really think outside the box okay. i wish we had uh-huh. i always wanted to give them more tools to 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 do more storytelling uh-huh. um but we just did, i don't think we quite gave them enough tools to to, to right. do it well yeah. um but uh we never taught you don't we don't ever teach some of the 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 more um subtle mechanics of the mm-hmm. game that like the 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 lookout gets to climb ladders faster. We never tell you that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the, the characters have little passive effects that we never tell you about. Um, so we had people actually build like tutorials for people. It's like, oh, yeah. So nice. you can go on to Steam Workshop and be like, if you want to learn to play Monica well, here, right. here's a set of tutorials that will that'll teach you all the subtle mechanics that are never taught by the game. Oh, that's, that's nice. Um, it's, so. it's also amazing how much the modders kind of like fill in the cracks that yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. you leave in your own projects. Um, huh. All right. Were you, so are you, um, were you, how did level design go for you? Like, was that, I mean, that must have been something you yeah, so, fairly new at. So, well, I did the, so I did the IGF ones and then um, ended up bringing on an artist that did the background paintings and was also doing the level design. Um, and then, Brought in Andy Wynn, who um, at the time didn't have any experience in games at all. He was working as a teller at a bank, and but really? he loved games. Okay. And he was local, and he just emailed me. He was like, "Is there anything I can do?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, at at the moment, I needed I needed someone. I just needed feedback." So I was like, "Oh, well." I'd run out of friends because I, <laughs> I I was like trying to get feedback from every friend that I yeah, could, but I'd yeah. run out of friends, and. Um, so I sent a build over to him and he, he, you know, videoed his face playing, you know, he did, he, he did like basically a reaction video of the whole okay. thing before reaction videos were a thing. Right. Um, was he taking a video of the screen too? Yeah. Or? Screen okay. and his face. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and had an Excel sheet of feedback and bugs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was wow. like, wow, this is hardcore. Was, yeah. So I was like, well, you want to do some QA for me? And then eventually like, maybe you want to try some level design too. And, Ended up deciding that having a level designer that was local uh-huh. um, was just much easier than a level designer that was remote. So he ended up doing um, pretty much all of the level design for the game. Um, oh, really? So you mm-hmm. so I stepped away it from, over him? Okay. Yep. Yep. I. I mean, I. It was. I would. I had the location in mind. I would quite often give an overall like, this is how many floors it is. This uh-huh. is this is the type of environment it is. This is it's a casino, and I'm, it's going to be you know this on this floor and this on this floor, and it should have a lot of tight corridors in this level. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then, as far as like, you know, as beyond that, I'm I largely left it to him. Um, okay. The Was only it- levels that had that are where like had some. 
still have parts that I literally went in and designed were like the mansion and the bank, I think are the only ones left that were okay. probably still my design. Okay. Um, did you, uh, I think the right way to ask this, but would you, um, I mean, did you think you, you just didn't have time for it or like maybe level design? It wasn't like your, yeah, your it, best thing or like, I was just really time consuming. Yeah. yeah I was okay. working on other things and, and, um, and, uh, with the IGF version, I was at the point where I could build like a level a day, but uh -huh. I had, I, my eyes would be burning by the end of the day. Right. Um, once I revamped the art and made the game more complex, mm -hmm. it was definitely to get a ship quality level. It was a significantly more involved process. Yeah. yeah um, okay. It, it would have probably been a week, a level for me. Uh, Andy was still pretty fresh so it took him a little bit longer than that right. but um uh but it was you know a pretty involved process right. and were you the only programmer yeah well we brought in that porting house to to help port it over yeah, c++ sure. but other than that i was i was okay so you had to do all the other yeah junk involved yeah. with getting a game and i had all previously been doing all the art but then so then we brought an artist to kind of replace my art right and yeah i was doing all the networking and everything right okay um so what, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about like adding all the, coming up with all the characters and like, sure. you know, how that stuff kind of came together? Yeah. Um, uh, the, well, we started with the four characters, right. um, and those characters were all characters specifically built to interact with a, with a very specific item type in the environment. Mm -hmm. So it was the locksmith was, was doors and safes. Mm-hmm. The hacker was he could he could hack computers and he could surveil the right. area. Um, the prowler was a little bit faster and she could do physical stuff faster. And then the cleaner could sneak up behind guards and knock them out. Right. So those were all built oppositionally to the environment. The very mechanical based designs. Uh huh. Um, when I went to design four more characters, I the um. The matrix of oppositional forces in the environment, if I added four more types of opposition, oppositional forces or item types that would have an exclusive, a single character would have an exclusive benefit upon interacting with it. Right. I felt like um, uh, there, it would be too infrequent that you would encounter an item that mattered to you as a character. Right. There's too many. And one out of eight is different from too one many out locks of four. and too many keys, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, if only one out of eight objects is something that I get an advantage for, yeah. then it's it's not going to be interesting. Right. So I, instead, I approached the those four from the perspective of what are the heist tropes, the heist movie tropes, mm -hmm. um, and how can I how can I bring the how can I um, bring more of the theme into the game. Right. And so we added the gentleman who was a master of disguise, mm -hmm. the redhead who is the, can distract guards, yep. the, um, the pickpocket who has a monkey that, that, um, is like a, a pet character. Right. Um, and, uh, he goes and grabs the coins. And right? he's, he goes and grabs the coins. Yeah. Yep. And, um, the, uh, who am I forgetting? I forget the mole. The mole, of course, my, I'm forgetting the mole. My favorite character, <laughs> and the mole who uh, is inspired by uh, the Kool Aid um, Man. Yeah, no, there's a there's a um, 
There's a movie called, I think it's The Good Thief with Nick Nolte, in which okay. there's a transgendered bodybuilder who is a tunneler and she's horribly afraid of spiders. Okay. Um, and, and did you just stock up and like watch all the oh, movies everything. at this point? Everything. Because okay. I was going to say, yeah. Like, yeah, that's, I don't. In fact, the pickpocket was originally going to be in, in that, the, in the good thief. It turns out there's a, there's a, a twin, there's a moment of like, oh, and, but they're twins. Oh. Okay. And the pickpocket was originally going to be, um, uh, um, dwarf twins. Okay. Um, that that you could control one and then the other one would go around and do stuff right and right. um and uh um yeah ended up changing it to to like the the organ grinder type monkey, yeah. monkey and, um bomb and his monkey um i'm not terribly afraid of of writing a line of offensiveness in my work so okay <laughs> <laughs> um so, uh, so yeah, we approached it more from a thematic perspective, right. and I'm really glad we did because that's a, a big part of what people really like about Monaco is how they can role play. Okay, cool. Um, no yeah. one role plays as the locksmith, or you know, <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. role plays as the gentleman or the the mole or the pickpocket. Yeah, these are more you know, flavorful, redhead. flavorful characters. Yeah, yeah. and the, the mole kind of breaks things. Like, were you afraid of adding he, that? He character? breaks the entire design. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like like really like <laughs> you can do this. Early on, the levels, there's a particular brick type that the mole can't break. Sure, right. And in our, in earlier iterations of the levels, we used it all over the place. Uh-huh. Because we wanted to constrain what he could and couldn't do. Right. And we discovered that it just wasn't, um, it, it didn't help the game. It was, it's fine for people to break the game. People love breaking the game. Right. Um, and, uh, as it so happens, it doesn't make it that much. It doesn't make it super easy. Right. Um, uh, so, um, so yeah, that's just one of those things that we kind of like, we had the realization after the fact that it's like, no, just let the player do what they want. Yeah. Sure. Stop trying to, stop trying to play God stop trying to use math to solve psychological problems. Just let people have fun. Yeah. Well, single player co-op, like, you have freedom to do that, right? Yeah. Like enable the player, right? right? Like it's fine. Yeah. One of the things I've like really evolved with is, is I used to try and use math to solve psychological problems. Okay. Like, like, like players so? are behaving in a particular way. It's because the incentive systems are 25% off. Right. If I just change the numbers, mm-hmm. I'll fix it. Yeah. And I've just, I've just found that it's not, it's not a terribly effective approach at, at, truly changing um player behavior mm-hmm. um that player behavior tends to be driven at a at, at a higher level at, at a, a level of their imagination rather than uh, um risk reward and and you know the player isn't doing that math in their head right um they're they're doing what seems intuitively right right um and and asking the player i and one of the things i learned from those ecosystem games is i didn't i didn't show the player stats or anything i wanted Mm. the player to play the game enough such that they could intuit what 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 would make a healthy ecosystem they could intuit the health of their ecosystem and understand how to approach it moving forward right um but players generally don't do that that's not how they start at least they Mm. start by um uh they start by using their own 
intuition, not the game's intuition. They they don't try. They aren't generally trying to discover what the game has has for them. They're trying to use their own intuition in order to to understand what's in the game. Um, and so, quite often, when I find that there's a a, a player behavioral problem, it, the problem is generally at a higher level, like how that mechanic is introduced and and how it fits in with with everything else. I know that's a sort of vague way to describe it, but. Yeah, I mean, can you think of the? Um, I mean, that maybe the mold is the example, but like, can you give another. Um. Yeah. Uh, well, I have ones that I've never solved. Okay. Like in Tooth and Tail, people uh-huh. you're the flag bearer, mm-hmm. but people still tell me that they want to hit people with the flag. <laughs> sure. Right. I tell them to shut up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like to make games where you don't fight. Right. Um, it's hard to that's that's a pretty important boolean, right? Like as soon as you cross that line, mm-hmm. it kind of becomes a different game. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's, I wouldn't be able to solve that through math. It's a it's a it's a boolean. It is know, a boolean. Yeah, I totally understand. Because like you could look at it like, well, I can figure out a number where it's okay. Right. right? No, but you can't. But you that's can't. The problem. Right. Like it's it's well I I mean you maybe not find the number because well, as soon as, sure. as, soon as yeah. like people try they're going to start talking about oh it should be stronger it should be weaker right. blah 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 it just it just leads to a whole other mess right and, like, and yeah. every time someone says that they want that they say just let me tap them just let me do a little bit of damage it doesn't have to be much I just want to do it right and no if I did let you do that now you want to hit them harder yeah yeah you'd be like oh this is stupid why do I have why can't I, why don't I have a real attack yeah um, yeah you got to keep the door closed it's, mm-hmm. it just leads to other things <laughs> mm-hmm. and so maybe the problem there so if i if i'm thinking about that that's because the player doesn't know that there are more things to do in battle They're, the player doesn't understand that there's actually subtle ways to control your army right through the controls that have already given you yeah and because of that they feel powerless in the middle of battle right and so um uh and so, yeah, the problem there is one of, of I didn't teach the mechanic yeah. well, or I mean, they're I didn't not, design the controls well, or something. Right, they're not, they're not playing the game that you designed yet. Right. I mean, that's a, still a tall challenge, right? Yeah. Like, you yeah. still have to teach them that game, right? So, right. Um, but, yeah, if you open that door, then it's like the game, your challenge is going to drain out the floor. Right? Mm-hmm. There's now a little crack in the floor. Right. And, right, it's just going to kind of right. <laughs> seep away. And um, that's actually, this is another thing that, like, in tooth and tail there's a there's a definitely a difference between units that are popular amongst the lower level players and units that are that are popular at the high level players the right. high level players are the min maxers and they'll sure. figure out the the yeah. the path of least resistance right. um and at the low level they're playing based upon their um uh their fantasy about what they're feeling know, about they're feeling about how, how characters uh, do right and some units are more complicated to use than others sure um but that's not a problem that can be solved by math. Anytime, you can't just if a, if low level players aren't playing the medic pigeon, mm-hmm. they won't play it. I if can you, double its strength the and number, they won't play right, it. Yeah, you know, or you almost have to. You'd have to put it to an absurd level, right. which would then break it for which the would high break level. the whole game. Yeah, it would yeah. break the whole game. Right. Um, no, yeah, so yeah, it's better to gen. You know, as as much as you can, trying to solve things. Um, at an experiential level, are, those are the ones. The the if you can get the math right, congratulations. But if you can solve it at an experiential level, um, more players are going to appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, I see that. Um, cool. All right. Well, um, let's see. What else should we talk about with Mark? We can talk about the story some. It's got kind of an unusual <laughs> approach to storytelling. 
Um, so where yeah. did that come from? Uh, well, it's fun to talk about this because Tooth and Tail was nominated for the, the Narrative Award in the IGF. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people noted that it was an interest. It was has an interesting world or an interesting story or something like right. that. But it's not like people really, really talked about the story because not that many people played all the way through to the end. Sure. Which, has it's nice and twisty and it's and it's cool. It's a cool yeah. story. Um, Monaco is also Monaco is a hard game and it's long. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts off pretty easy and then it gets complex and it gets hard. So right. Not that many people have gotten to the end. And then we also built a whole second campaign, mm. which has an entirely new story. That's basically it's a Rashomon style thing mm. where the story is told from the perspective of the locksmith in yes. the right. first one, and then it's retold. But it's entirely different when right. told from the from a different character, and so while the levels are are have the levels are supposedly in the same location, they are completely redesigned um, uh, for the second campaign. Right. Um, uh, and in both cases, there's a major twist at the end of the first campaign, and then there's a major twist at the end of the second campaign. Right. And then we ended up even making a uh, third campaign, which isn't really a which is like a sort of a prequel campaign and mm-hmm. then a fourth campaign that wraps up the whole story. Right. Um, and um, it's, it's, it, no, I didn't make it all the way through. Do you resolve the, the like discrepancies between the stories? Ha, I think it's okay to spoil some stuff. Monaco's been out forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the design podcast for yeah. Monaco, so we should yeah. just go for it. Yeah. So the, um, I'm just going to straight up spoil here. I'm yeah. going to straight spoil, spoil, spoil. So uh, if you are curious or if you don't want to have this spoiled, take a break. Um, uh, so um, you start off with just the four characters, right. the, the four original characters. Mm-hmm. You break out of prison and one by one you meet the, the four thematic characters right. that are um, really – it's – Four thieves that all know each other. The gentleman kind of runs the crew. Mm-hmm. And by the, then when you get to the end of the first campaign, as it turns out, the gentleman betrays you. Mm-hmm. And uh, as all of these crimes and heists that you've gone on, um, he's managed, even though he's run off with all the money, he's managed to get the police really just interested in the fact that there are four thieves that have gone on all these heists. Right. He locks you in a room, and the four thieves that you've rescued along the way escape with all the money, leaving mm-hmm. you locked in the room for the police to come get you. Right. And so this is actually the story of how those characters end up back in prison telling the story of Monaco because they're talking to the investigators trying to say no it wasn't us well oh. it wasn't just us it was right. actually these other four guys mm-hmm. that like that are the real bad guys and, yep. and the, the investigators like no those people don't exist you're making them up right um, and um, so then um, the the retelling of the story mm-hmm. um, uh, goes through and basically says um well it it retells the story as if these characters um maybe did exist but are um uh when you get to the end of the second campaign you 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 the very last mission is actually another prison break so you're the you're the same characters and you've been you've you've been interrogated but now as it turns out those four characters that were caught at the end of the first campaign yep. that are the original four the locksmith mm-hmm. and the, the lookout and etc 
have dual abilities. So they get so the locksmith is also the mole. Right. The gentleman is also the pickpocket. Right. The uh, the cleaner is also the hacker, and the redhead is also the lookout. So it, it, the game sort of implies so that, that there were only four there characters were never all eight. along. It was always four. They intentionally got caught to go so that they could get into the prison, uh-huh. and then because that's where all the evidence of their crimes were, and oh. they needed to get into the prison <laughs> to steal the evidence to get out to okay. erase the fact of their existence. Okay, all right. Um, okay, excellent. and that very last level of the second campaign, mm-hmm. you can. You, you get out of your cell and you can take you, – all you have to do is you walk along and there's like an active credit sequence as you as you go. And you can literally go out, climb through a bush and you can get into the car and you can leave. But there's one secret passage along the way because as you're walking along this path, you're seeing through windows into the police station. Uh-huh. And it's the most brutal level you've ever seen. Uh-huh. But there's coins everywhere uh-huh. in there. Yeah. And the idea here is that the player – as the gentleman can't resist going in for <laughs> one, one last, last heist, even right. though you could just walk out, get into the, the van and drive away. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it's this like perfect moment where you like, you get the twist of, Oh my gosh, wait a second there. I'm a, the characters are the same. Like the mm-hmm. mole is the locksmith. Right. They, they were the same character all along. Right. And then you, and then you're walking out and you're like, I just got to do it. I just got to do it. And so right. you, you break into the prison to get all the stuff. And, and, and wait, uh, can you just go into the van? You can just go into the van. And then you, the you, game... can, you don't have to pick up a single coin and it'll cut to credits. Okay. But you can break, you can break into the evidence lockers. You can break into the actual like police station and go and steal everything to get away. Um, right. Well, then we made origin stories, which don't, tell a whole lot of story Uh um and then we tell and then there's a whole nother campaign in which we uh there's levels set in various different places around the world where they still speak french because we didn't (laughs) want to re-record any vo (laughs) (laughs) so we set a level (laughs) we set a level like in in west africa lebanon places like that yeah Yeah. and in fact one of the levels i I think the last level if i remember correctly is actually set in the paris hotel in las vegas (laughs) <laughs> because they've escaped the country and then, <laughs> um, and uh, um, that turns out that the, is the investigator. We um, the investi- the investigator has his basically Sherlock has his Holmes uh-huh. along with him, and there's some implication. That, so Holmes at the end kind of turns on him and turns out he's actually the cleaner. So he's been the cleaner all along, and he knocks out. The main guy, his name is Voltaire, the main investigator. Okay. Um, and uh, we, there's some implication that there maybe were actually five, there were, there were actually five characters that the hacker cleaner was actually, the hacker ha- was described that way because he had multiple personalities. He was, he was, um, uh, and then the cleaner was actually his twin. And okay. So we thought so it was he, the, the hacker. The hacker was on the inside at uh-huh. the, um, uh, the hacker was on the inside all along at the um, the um, at Interpol and uh-huh. was giving them all this information. And the cleaner was one of the four, so it was actually three plus the cleaner. And the hacker was was the deputy, and then they all get together and they they get away. So so we leave we none of these is is canon. Right. Um, so we do leave the player. Uh, trying to figure out whether or not are there eight characters are there four characters are there five characters um right. right and it was a 
a really fun puzzle for our players to, okay. to work through and try and solve. So why did you decide to do it this way? I mean, sounds kind of complicated. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> Tooth and Tail is complicated, too. I like twisty, turny stories. Okay. And, and... I mean, what was the origin for it? Like... Um, You're just watching a lot of heist movies, and they yeah, kind of heist go this movies, way, and, and it's always fun to do movies where there's uh, um, mistaken identities or you know sixth sense style stuff is all that's always you know M Night Shyam mm-hmm. whatever his yeah, name yeah. is all that kind of stuff is always. It's it's a, it appeals to me as a viewer, but it also appeals to me as a writer because mm-hmm. it's like you're constructing a puzzle, um, and. Uh, um, it's I, I like to I don't like to leave put every detail in. I like to leave some of those details unspoken to um so some of these some of these stories are a little bit opaque and it's a little bit like if you're not if you're not paying attention you you will miss a lot and 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 you know in some cases you maybe you'll miss it because I'm not a professional writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, I've been nominated for a narrative award, so maybe I am. <laughs> there you go. Um You can you can go through the is it the same campaign you go through if you play co op? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think what happens to me is I just missed a lot of it. Yeah. Because, because I played co-op partners were I played the code for co-op, and it's just you know you're not focusing on the nope. the stuff. You're like, all right, let's get to the next one. And like, yep. I totally enjoy doing it that way. Um, so wait, how did you? Isn't the balance totally crazy? If you can go through it as one character, or you can go through it as like yeah four. Yeah. Right. You're up to four players, but I know yep. I, I think I play with with like three friends. We um. How did that work? Uh, it's, it definitely has a different feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I loved playing it single player and I think there are some people, a lot of people who did, but generally the game has, has the reputation of not being as good as a single player game as it is as a co-op game. Right. Um, maybe that's just in comparison because people really love it as a co-op game. Do you have, do you um, actually know stats on that? We did. There was someone who ran, um, who scraped leaderboard data of all of the various different levels both uh-huh. from single player and multiplayer i don't remember um but her her handles free market so i think if you google free market monaco stats or something like that what was her conclusion um, like uh people um uh people made it much farther into the game if they were playing co-op Okay. So they experienced a lot more of the game if they played co-op. But you have a sense um, of like what percentage played single player? If I re- what percentage it's well, it's hard co-op. to know because it, because you they couldn't cross both. reference. They could yeah. you could do both. In fact, probably most of the single player people did play co-op at some sure. point. It's re- it, that that one I don't know. I mean, do you have like Steam? Um, achievements I think it was like fifty fifty. That like um, like do you have Steam achievements that get tagged for some of those paths, so you can kind of see like oh. I mean, the leaderboards covered it because we had a individual leaderboard for every level. Okay. For both single player and for for, co-op. for multiplayer. Okay. Um, and uh, but the game doesn't do anything different. It doesn't change its balance at all. Okay. It just plays differently if you play it by yourself. It um. You have to play it really slowly. Okay. There, oh, there is actually a mechanical difference. Sorry, I forgot. If you're playing single player and you die, mm-hmm. you get to um, spawn as any of the other characters oh, that you've unlocked okay. so far at the last staircase you came out of. Okay. In multiplayer, if one person dies, the other person has to revive them. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay. So you get so you get lives. Eight lives, basically. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Um, Okay, but if you do, you remember if you looked at like just how many multiplayer leaderboard entries there were versus I think single board. I think it was like fifty fifty. Really? Okay. If I if I recall. 
But well, I could be wrong. That's pretty good. It's actually pretty unusual for a game to be split like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. Of, there's even a lot of games that are like known for multi, especially RTSs are like that. They're right. Like, like no for multiplayer, but really like it's the single player that is what actually drives sales and what people play. Yeah. Um, we talked to people at Blizzard that said like ninety percent of people that play StarCraft never touch online. Yeah, never. Yeah. Um, so if you have that many people playing co-op, that's that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, we made it a completely seamless experience. So you go to the level selection screen, and there's a tiny little toggle down in the screen as to whether or not you're playing online or offline. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing online and you choose a level, it drops you into a character selection lobby, and you can choose your character and you can start to play. Or if you you know, if there's other people playing, when they go to the level select screen, if they're mm-hmm. playing online, they'll see a little a little radar thing about what, what levels other people are in. So they can just go and they can jump into your lobby. Yeah. yeah. Um, Did you, yeah. was that part of your plan? Like, do you remember thinking about co-op when you like entered the IGF? and like? Yeah, it, co-op was in from the very beginning. Oh, it was? Jeez, mm-hmm. wow. You must have mm-hmm. worked really hard for <laughs> eight weeks. I mean, not on network, not where it wasn't network play, but it was same screen. Call. So, oh yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's, yeah. that's obviously a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Uh, I keep forgetting. I mean, I played on the PC, so I keep forgetting of it. Like obviously yeah, yeah. in the console setting, like, yeah, of course you would do co-op. Right. <laughs> like, right. Right. Yeah. Totally. That's pretty straightforward. Um, okay, cool. Um, I'm trying to think what else is there anything else about Monaco that's worth talking about. Um, um, I mean, it came out and like, I, I guess, well, all right, let me, let me, you're a really good interviewer. <laughs> uh, no, you actually are that one. That just, just, yeah. Yeah. So it came out. So you're born. Um, <laughs> all right. Let me, uh, actually, let me ask one thing because I was, it's always good to ask something like this. Was there, um, what was the most difficult thing to get right when you were developing Monaco? Um, that's a tough question. Um, we spent um, a lot of time on uh, on those later character designs and and making. We spent a lot of time iterating on the cleaners mechanic. Mm-hmm. The redhead went through iterations where she wasn't even the redhead; she was com- something completely different. Uh, the the disguise mechanic that the gentleman relied upon and the hacker mechanic got completely revamped from the early days. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it was well, we're trying to invent mechanics. Right. We're trying to invent new ways to interact with Pac-Man. Right. Sure. You know, um, and um, and do it in such a way that it didn't require additional buttons. Right. That was the hardest part. Sure. Like at one point the the yeah, with the version all of the different hack- characters, it must have been so tempting to be for one of them to be like, well, all right, and just in this one case, we'll, yeah. you know, like, we'll break our rules a little bit. And- right, exactly. Um, the With the hacker, until, until, so the hacker, you push into a computer and mm-hmm. that creates a virus, yeah. which then follows you around, but only through the walls. Right. But it follows you around just like the monkey follows you around. So uh-huh. it's it's an independent character that follows you, and you can actually get a little army of viruses that mm-hmm. follow are following you around. And what they're doing is they're they will turn out lights and they'll open um, electronic doors and they'll turn off cameras and stuff like that. Um, so you get this little army of, of, of viruses that follow you through the walls. It's really kind of neat. But for the longest time, um, what we really wanted was we wanted the hacker to be stuck at the computer and have the player be able once you've hacked in 
you become the virus and now you're controlling the virus and you're moving through the walls. So mm-hmm. it was going to give us this like now we've inver- inverted the entire play space uh-huh. where you're no longer walking through the corridors. You were a virus and you're walking through the walls. Right. Um, but we never had we never came up with a um, a good solution for how to cancel the virus. If okay. a guard was coming and the, and the hacker needed to move away from the computer, because the idea there is it's a game of chicken. How long can I stay oh, at this geez, computer yeah, yeah, yeah. until before, you know, before a guard's going to come along? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we, ne- we couldn't figure out how to, how to cancel that without a button. And we were, oh, man. we were just completely adamant. That's so, it's so, yeah, that's, wow, that's, that's rough. I mean, it's so easy to fix if you just like allow one, one button. Yeah, one button, exactly. (laughs) Wow, all right, well, you were hardcore about it. That's, Um, that's impressive. So, um, there's that. And then the other thing was, is probably just the UI. We really spent a lot of time, um, trying to, trying to make a seamless lobby system. Another thing is we spent, we actually canceled a, a couple of major features. We had planned for a, um, thief versus thief mode, so mm-hmm. competitive, right? In which you're still playing stealth, but we I drew some inspiration from Whacked for this one, okay. the game that I, I worked on from <laughs> right. much much earlier, and that was that the coins, some of the coins were neutral colored, anyone could pick them up, mm-hmm. and some of the coins were um, were colored in your color. Mm. But if they were colored in your color, it meant that you were the only one who couldn't pick them up. So there was still competition. Okay. So so there's still competition for that coin. Uh-huh. It's but but there was, you know, um which still allows for for characters to cross over each other and, and yeah. you know be fighting over the neutral coins but also have coins that they can that that they can get. Um and um uh, we just the problem with it was that um, the player who got got out in front would win because they just hoover up all of the easy coins. Yep. Um, then we we worked for a long time on a cop versus robber mode um, where one player gets to play the cop. Um, it was online only, um, and um, what we found with that one is that we were going to have to rebuild all the levels entirely sure. for it because yeah. we wanted to be able to just put you back into the regular level and let one guy, you know, stick a detective in it. Uh-huh. But we found that the early levels were designed literally to be easy. And so it was impossible sure. for the detective to win. Yeah, yeah. And the later levels were designed to be nearly impossible for the thieves to, sure. to win. And so throwing yeah, a detective in there. It was, was like, it's not a competitive game. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Is there anything you wish you could have done differently? Like, is there something that you feel like didn't work out? We wanted it to. Honestly, the only regrets I have is that it took as long as it did to come to market. We got, I, I, I do, I felt there were a couple of games that took the wind out of our sails a little bit in terms of of doing things that I felt like that we were doing that were really really unique mm-hmm. early on. But then another game kind of hit, and and um, in particular, the ones that come to mind are Hotline Miami and Payday. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, that by the time we came out, right. another heist, a really popular heist game, game was right out there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and even though they they took a Reservoir Dogs approach to it, that sure. is like more like it's more more about sort of the shootout after the heist than it is about the heist itself. Um, it uh, it still uh, you know took a little bit of the wind out of our sails. And with Hotline Miami being like the first really popular top down game of the new generation of games, was right. something I was like, dang it. 
that was that was what we were doing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So then the game came out. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, you got great reviews, right? Yep. Yep. Um, reviews and, are really uh, good. It did well, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to include humble bundle numbers, but we've sold nearly two million copies. If you include humble bundle right. numbers, um, okay. well, we've sold. I think we sold a million, uh, million plus units on Steam. Okay. Um, alone, a that's, million that's one point one or something like that's that. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it did really well. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, so um, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to like, you know? I mean, you've been struggling, right? Yeah, like your yeah. career to like get a game like that out. And yeah, see that happen. Yeah, well, yeah, going going back to that moment where I was working on that dinosaur game and thinking I to go get a job. Right. I, I, you know, if you've listened to this entire podcast, you know <laughs> that this is like this is what I. I've always felt that I was just meant to do. I never even questioned that I wouldn't do this. Right. And so the thought that I, I, I mean, granted, I was probably going to go get another job in games, but like, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm just mentally built to want to make my own games. This is just what I've always done. And, and on the verge, on the verge of a, a complete reevaluation of who I was and, and what I was meant to do. Um, and then Monaco happens, which is, which is as far in the other direction as you could possibly go. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly really validating. Um, it made me believe in, in uh, what we were doing as indies. And, and you know, I've hosted the IGF a bunch of times too. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I've had the pleasure of, of seeing is that back in that year when Darwinia won, uh-huh. they had this kind of famous moment when they got up and in their acceptance speech they gave this description of how like publishers kept rejecting them or screwing them over mm-hmm. and they got up there and they gave their expect- acceptance speech and they and they flipped the bird to the publishers they <laughs> they, they yeah. and right. i they, they said like you know publishers fuck off or something like that right. um and and the entire place erupted right. in cheers and it was this moment where Indie was defined as an oppositional force mm-hmm. to the AAA publisher-centric world. Right. And it it was a battle. And it was a it it was a battle that got fought um and fought hard in such a way that even Microsoft was offering great terms on XPLA. Microsoft right. treated us really well because they're because and because we were fighting. We were really, really fighting and not willing to let people take advantage of us, not willing mm-hmm. to let people come in and force us to change the art form. Mm-hmm. You know, let us be artsy, let us do weird stuff. Right. Um, and we were so confident that if you just let us do this, mm-hmm. we will like help to make your platform. And this is what players want. Right. And the funny thing is, you know, this culminated, of course, with Minecraft. Right. Um, and Minecraft is is uh, far and away the biggest mm-hmm. example of this. But my it, and it's not just Minecraft because I I, I want to give credit to all of the games that that fought along that path. But after Minecraft, and then it was done again with Terraria, and you know it mm-hmm. just kept happening again and again. You could look at you could look at it and say we won. Sure. Like those ba- those sorts of battles that David and Goliath battle doesn't go that way. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
And what's so cool now is being at GDC, you can look around and, and the AAA stuff has really interesting, cool stuff in it. It has a mixture of stuff. It has representation of all types of people. It has interesting mechanics. You look at the indie world and, hey, there's some AAA stuff down here, but we're still making weird games. We're right. defining new genres. You know, how many people scoff at the idea of a walking simulator, but we still keep making those walking simulators and yeah. keep defining it as a new thing and finding new ways to, to entertain people and finding new people that that weren't satisfied before, that games weren't satisfying. We find find game ways to make games that satisfy people that never could have played games before. Yeah. Um, and so winning that battle is, I feel like, you know, somewhere around 2013 or so, there was no longer any doubt yeah. that that we'd won. Yeah. Um, and for me, it, you know, Monaco winning was the moment when it cemented in my head that mm -hmm. it was like, yeah, no, I, this is possible for me. This is possible for anyone. Monaco, sure, it has a commercial edge to it. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's still shooting and crime and things right. like that. It's not ultra artsy fartsy, but it's kind of weird. Right. Um, mechanically. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it you know, forces you to think outside the box. Um, right. Well, and, I mean, it was made by a handful of people, yeah, right? Three, right. Three, four people, yeah, whatever, right? Exactly. I mean, like, that's um, revolutionary in and of itself, so. So, um, so, yeah, for me personally, that was the moment when it, pro when it proved that, like, no, this is, like, this is just, I'm, I'm not trying to say that this is the future because the I don't see the future of the game industry as linear. I don't see like it's not the game industry isn't moving in one direction. It's moving in many, many, many directions. Right. And that is largely because of how indies have reshaped the industry. Right. Um, that they've created we've we've created a safe. Um, uh, we've created a perception that you can take risks, that you can just explore new markets. Um, that, uh, that lot, there are lots of gamers that care about lots of different things that you don't need to target only a single definition of what a core gamer is in order right. to be successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and maybe that should have been obvious all along and maybe it was to people, but, but, um, but you know, someone higher up the change wasn't listening. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's a, it's a strange confluence of things, right? Like, I mean, I feel like the creativity is always out there. And, you know, you know, you want to, I, I want to think about all of these great projects, right? I mean, those, those are, that's the part I care about. I care about the creativity that went to that and what came out of it, right? But, like, at the end of the day, I think the creativity still existed. Oh, yeah. In 2000. Yeah, right? for sure. It's just there was, there was no business path for these people. Right. Right? Like, that's what, that's what changed. And, like, that's, um, you know, I mean, that, that was probably more of a technological thing i guess it's all mixed up it's not like yeah if if, if valve didn't do steam someone would have done steam right? right like it was this was this was going to happen um and um but yeah like emotionally it's just it's just amazing to see it happen because yeah i remember those you know i remember those days where you know like you really could only make a certain type of game Right. I mean, that, and, and it was it was historically actually, if you look back on it, a relatively short window where that was true. Right. Because you're right in that games games made up and through up until the '90s were just whatever the design yeah, we're, thought we're, up. We're crazy. They were whatever the design. Yeah, thought it's, up. it's weird. It was '80s, early '90s. 
Yeah, um, and then it and was then the not late much 90s, different from now. Exactly, and then the late nineties and the early two thousands were this really dead period where no one wanted to take risks on anything. Yeah, and well, I think it's because uh, games started making a lot of money. Yeah, right, right, and, so and because of that, started there was this arms race right. of it was costing more and more money to make these yeah. games. Because no one was really putting that much money into games in like right. 1989 or whatever, right? right? So, you know, you could kind of get away with whatever. And uh, yeah, so it's, I don't know, which which era is the aberration, right? Yeah. You know, I think probably 30 or 40 years from now, I think it'll be clear that like, yeah, that weird period from like 95 yeah, to 2007 to was yeah. like the aberration. I think right? you're completely right because um, the indies of today look very very much like what you know it looks like mule and ultima and and mario brothers and all of that stuff it's the same the processes that they were going through to to invent things out of whole cloth right is something that we're we're back to doing again today yeah 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 cool all right well let's talk about tooth and tail then all right cool (laughs) all right so you know monaco did very well and um so obviously you're like, well, this, you know, great. Now yep. I'm going to make indie video games, right? And yep. so is this, was that, you'd all, I guess you, we've already talked before, but you always love RTS games, right? Yeah, right. Um, so was that kind of, the, the, was that the type of game you wanted to make right away? Like, uh, Yeah, it's one that, that uh, Andy Wynn and I had been talking a lot about uh-huh. over the, towards, over the last like eight months or so of Monaco. Right. Um, uh, he was strongly inspired by that dinosaur game, um, uh, and um, he was no, no. You well, were. I was. You yeah, were. yeah it, okay. I sort of brought this to the table. And yeah. I was like, hey, there's this thing okay. that I you told I, about the concept, and he was the, like dropping okay. eggs into the world, yeah. and you know, um, and starting from there. And and I'd seen a lot of people, a lot of games try to do the console RTS thing. Um, I had already kind of made the transition to not wanting to sit at my desk anymore after the after work was over, but, okay. but being very nostalgic for my old RTS days. Okay. And and very, very unsatisfied with pretty much every attempt to bring real-time strategy to, uh, to a console. Right, okay. So you were um, largely playing your games on consoles. I was, why. even though, like like I said, I'm just, a PC gamer right. at heart. Okay. Um, I just like you know I, I got a bad back and yeah. and I get carpal tunnel and all sure. all that nonsense or RSI you know yeah um uh and I'm you know I want to play socially too yeah. um so um uh so you know and I don't our early sort of attempts to pitch the game were very much like we're gonna make the first great console RTS right. or something along those lines and. Um, I've always kind of felt bad about that because it, because it the imp- implicit in that is that anyone who has ever made one has made, it hasn't done yeah. well. Right. <laughs> I, it, it feels bad to say that at the same time, I think that you and I can sit here and be like, yeah, I've played a lot of bad games. I don't want to, I shouldn't go off bad mouthing the developers, <laughs> especially when they did try to do something new and yeah. maybe it didn't just, maybe it just didn't quite work i mean a lot of good people have worked um, on this problem but you know con- rts's are not a big thing on consoles right no they're so not. that's because and, it hasn't worked out and in my opinion it's because most of the time with the exception of pikmin mm-hmm. yep. they were trying to um find the optimal way to port the controls in a literal sense yeah and it is just is always it's it's a far inferior device you know people think that a, a dual stick 
analog is is inferior to mouse keyboard for first person shooters, well, it's even worse for real time strategy. Right. Um, so well, it's. I mean, I'm probably. I think a lot about RTS games, so I, like I'm afraid I'm gonna like step on your no, lines here a lot. Yeah. But I mean, like it's like clear that like RTS games weren't just designed in a vacuum. Right. Like they work that way they because they fit the keyboard and, 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 and mouse, right? And so like, yeah, like what? Why are you trying to like convert that to a, a place where you don't have a keyboard and a mouse, right? Right. Like so, yeah. At some point, and you know, at some point, I guess you have to ask, like, okay, what is the actual part of the RTS that's like uh, the platonic version of the RTS, right? That's like above. You know that exists outside of the interface, right? right? Or the controller outside of the hardware. Like, right. what are the parts that are act, are necessary? And then, how do I move that to a console, right? Well, you, yeah, you are stomping on my line. That's literally <laughs> exactly the process we took. Right. We said we actually decided. So I mentioned Pikmin. Uh huh. Pikmin yeah. was, I think, probably the only really super su- successful, and I don't mean financially successful, but I mean really successful attempt at yep. doing this. Yep. But it also doesn't really feel like an RTS. It feels like it's just an its own game. It's still it's kind of bizarre. They invented something. Right. New. If you squinch if you had to label it, you call it an RTS. You but call that, it a strategy game that is played in real time, but, yeah, but it's it not, doesn't doesn't feel like Command and Conquer. Right. Yeah. Um so um and and you know the controls are kind of kludgy and and you know but it's it's unique and it's fun and it's a cool world and etc. So yeah, anytime I'm I don't want to badmouth any game, but I I'm I, I'm happy to be critical of games, but I certainly don't want to badmouth anyone's mm-hmm. you know hard work. Um. Uh. So um, we very specifically decided early on that we that we didn't want to run into the Pikmin problem. We wanted to make a game that was recognizable to real-time strategy fans as a real-time strategy game. We didn't want to invent something new. Mm -hmm. So anytime we were like, well, we could just do X, Y, and Z because it does fit the controller, Mm -hmm. but it won't feel like StarCraft. We always said, no, it has to feel like StarCraft. Mm -hmm. And StarCraft being, you know, the just, you know, if there ever was a seminal real-time strategy game, it's StarCraft. Um, and um, so what we did is we boiled the concept down to like, what are the component pieces of real-time strategy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's spatial control. Mm-hmm. It's building units. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's uh, rock, paper, scissors. It's resources. Mm-hmm. Um, attack, defend, economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, scouting. Um, uh, conquering. Mm-hmm. Um, turtling. Right. Uh Stealth to some extent, mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, and even like pincer attacks, being able to attack in multiple places at once. Right. Um, although it's interesting because one at low level play and 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 in StarCraft, people dream about doing that kind yeah. of thing, but that's not. But really, speaking. you don't do it. Yeah, you, yeah. You keep your army together. No. Um, uh, and that was something we ran into a lot when working with Tooth and Tail. When when people were like, "But I want to be able to split my army," and I'm like, "But you you just say you're just saying that. <laughs> that's right. like that you're envisioning that that's what you want to do, but you wouldn't do it anyways." Right. Um, we do allow for you to be able to do it in Tooth and Tail, but it's uh, something we struggle with. Um, so we boiled all those things down, and then we're like, "How do we build these things back up into a, a dense little package mm-hmm. that?" Is was is more inspired by the '90s era RTS before 
there was a, an esports scene before YouTube tutorials existed because for many people, including myself, it kind of ruins it when you have to go and practice your build order before you even bother playing online. Right. And because I remember my college dorm room days of, of where strategy was more about creativity and in, improvisation mm-hmm. and coming up with something new to do to surprise your opponent. And right. that's how you'd win. Yeah. Um, uh, but now that the internet exists, sure. you can just look up the best way. Yeah. You know, you can look up the ideal strategy. So we really wanted to focus on this idea of like the, the player does the unexpected is, has a major advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so the first thing was, well, analog sticks are just not meant for pointing and clicking. Yeah. They're just not. Yeah. Um, it, it is never, ever, ever, ever fun. And even in, in other genres of games, um, mm-hmm. it's painful. Um, so we said, well, then there has, there has to be a single character and that single character will, at first it was a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in our, in our little temp art world, it was a spaceship and you'd right. go around and you'd claim asteroids and then you'd upgrade the asteroids into different types of, of unit producing okay. things. This is when it was called Armada? Yeah, that's it was, yeah, that's Armada was, was like the code name. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, we, um, some things that we found along the way, one of the interesting things that came out of that is that we were able to remove a lot of the um, uh, the the um, micro, the intensity of the micro out of the game mm-hmm. and replace it with something that was actually a strategic decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that in real-time strategy, you have to be able to control your army and and be like microing a battle at the same time as selecting your barracks and building more Marines to get your reinforcements. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to do those things at the same time. And that's something for most people is not actually a fun activity to do. It's just too hard to do it. Mm -hmm. Even for people who are good at it, they, I'm not sure that they would describe it as a fun Fun activity. It's just what you do. Right. It's like kind of a diner dash thing that you're trying to (laughs) pull off, but yeah. So by forcing the player to make a decision about, like, if I'm off scouting, I'm not going to be able to build things at home. And if I'm building things at home, it means that my enemy is doing something mm-hmm. off in the fog of war that I, you know, that I can't see. And so it actually changes, like, the player's attention, turns the player's attention, takes it from being a, a resource and turns it to being a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you're making an active decision about what you're spending your your focus on. So yeah, um, so yeah, we we just rebuilt from there. Um, we took the approach of if there's anything in real time strategy that feels like a chore, automate it. Right. Okay. Um, and so I guess we should clarify for the listeners. So what you're, um, so like with the the buildings, you know, you, you get them down and they just they just start training out units. Yeah. So you're a flag bearer. You're the flag right. bearer for your army. Mm-hmm. The controls are, and I'll describe the 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 PC controls here. You can imagine it on a controller. Um, WASD to move around. Right. Um, a spacebar will build whatever your selected building is. Mm-hmm. You have a, a palette of six different buildings at the, mm-hmm. at the bottom. Q and E cycles between those things. Yeah. Um, uh, the R button allows you to burrow home like League of Legends. Yeah. Um, so you can teleport between your different bases. Um, now your army can't, but you can. Right. Um, and then the left and right mouse buttons function as rally buttons. So your right mouse button mm-hmm. rallies your entire army. Your yeah. left mouse button rallies only the unit class that you have highlighted on the bottom of the screen. Right. And there's some contextual stuff there. If you hold the button, 
it acts as if you if you hold the button while standing next to an enemy, it acts as a focus fire or an attack command mm-hmm. for you for either the army or the class. Mm-hmm. If you're not standing next to an and a unit an enemy and you hold the button, it acts as a move command, which is typically used to retreat because your army will stop attacking. Right. And if you click and release, it acts as an attack move okay. um, to right. the location where the commander is standing. Not where you don't get to click on the screen where you want your army to go. It literally means they will. They your army will move to the position of the flag bearer himself. Right. Um. So um. So when you build a structure, they're called warrens, and then basically just little factories. And mm-hmm. we uh put we include the supply is built into that. Um. And so it costs a certain amount of food to build that food to be food being the resource. Mm-hmm. And you have these farmers around your bases that automatically right. collect the food for you. Um, it costs food to put the warren down. The the tier one warrens can produce up to three, so that's their supply. If you want more supply, you have to build another warren. So so, so you know, so, um, supply and and production are are into a right. single factory, and and the units will produce automatically up to that cap. Yep. And each time one starts producing, it costs a certain amount of food. And if you don't have enough food to produce it, then it will pause production on right. that that thing. This led to actually a in some ways, we offloaded. We we've changed. We moved the barrier to entry. Um, in traditional real time strategy, there's there's more barrier to entry to, to understanding the original mechanics of I have to put this, I have to build this thing, and then I have to build individual units, and I right. also have to build supply, and we, it sort of front loads a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But then there's a there's a pretty smooth, um, uh, um learning curve mm-hmm. beyond that but there's that initial barrier to entry to understanding the mechanic right we with 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 the automation of all this stuff we way lower the early barrier to entry to understanding the economy mm-hmm. but we actually raised the the height of the learning curve okay. to, um later on because you have an automated economy with its spending the spending food independently of you you don't push a button you know and even when you're off in a battle and a and one of your units dies the warren where it was produced will then automatically take some food and then mm-hmm. start producing that unit so you'll see you'll see your food going down and not know why and then mm-hmm. you know so you're saying the learning curve is so high because you have to understand all, all those it, systems well are it starts with a lower learning curve yeah. but then it actually ramps up even higher later so I think it works really well for the game because it mm-hmm. removes the control complexity, um, mm-hmm. but it definitely led to, um, I think, probably even more confusion than than the traditional real-time strategy model. Hmm. Um, because, I mean, what were people most confused by? Well, in real-time strategy, it's everything's manual. You yeah. make an active decision to spend sure. food. You never, you know, you make an active decision. Every time you want to spend food, do I have enough food? I'll spend it. Right. Um, you're taking away a lot of yeah. You're taking away a lot of control mm-hmm. for a reason, and so you but... have to have a feel for: Do I have enough economy in order to support the unit production that I've got going on now? Mm-hmm. Do I want to sell off some of my warrens because because my production economy I've I've got too much. It's my production is taking too much um, of my economy, or Am I better off just waiting because a couple of these are going to hit their supply cap mm-hmm. and it'll free up some of my production economy? 
Right. It gets complicated. It gets complicated, but to some extent, maybe that's that's what leads leads to some of the high level gameplay and, and texture sure. as well. Yeah. I mean, these games have to be difficult at the high end. Yeah. Right. Like otherwise, they're not they're not going to be competitive. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I suppose we should start the um now I. I one thing that was probably different, I'm kind of assuming about this game, is like with Monaco, you talked about how like it was fun, like, like the first day, basically. Was this a different Tooth and, Tooth and Tail when it was Armada? Was actually fun within a few days. Okay. Because the, um, we we put the netcode in literally at the very beginning. Sure. Um. So you had multiplayer right away. We had multiplayer right away. Yeah. That's the only thing we had. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. You, you were a ship. There were asteroids. And you would hover over the asteroid and you would choose... Uh, you would click A, B, or X on the controller to upgrade it along a tech tree um, where A, the green button, was the economy, B was uh, was defense, and X was offense, off- offensively producing units. Um right. And then that those, and then you could continue to upgrade it from there. So it was a whole like tech tree of multiple iterations of upgrades. Um, once the units started popping out, they would they would swarm around your unit like a like a with a little flocking simulation, and then they would fight enemies when they got close. Right. And that was fun. Okay. It was fun to just fly around with these units that are flocking around you and and try and take out enemy asteroids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was a it was a neat visual experience. Right. Um, I guess what I'm curious at or trying to get at is like, what were were there some like really difficult things you had to discover as you went along? Like, what were what were, were there any like key decisions that had to be made before? Like, okay, this this isn't really quite working, and then we figure something out, and now it's working. That whole tech tree upgrade thing mm-hmm. um, was we scrapped entirely. Okay. We we iterated on tooth and tail for years sure um to get it right you know whether or not it was something are the bases something that exist pre-exist in the environment and mm-hmm. then you just capture them you know are the resources things that pre-exist in the environment and you capture them or can you build resource producers anywhere um uh what are the resources are the resources on small plots of land or are they are they like warcraft where it's like forests and you slowly deplete the forests Mm-hmm. There's a there's just a lot of different ways to to build the the, the economy of a real time strategy game. Right. Um, we also iterated tremendously on the controls. The whole like hold for attack. Yeah. You know. In fact, all the way up until we actually changed the controls, just like literally like. Four months before launch, mm-hmm. we we added focus fire right. at PAX in the middle of PAX. Uh, it was a uh, we'd already done Friday and Saturday morning. I was like, I have an idea. What if mm-hmm. we do it like this? And I literally coded it and I and I put it on the machines and we tested it for the rest of PAX and it ended up sticking. We stuck with it. Okay. Um, Are you very happy with the way the controls worked in the ultimate project? Uh, almost very. happy. Okay. Yes, I'm very, very happy because I do believe that we did we accomplished what we set out to do. Okay. If you get into Tooth and Tail and you and you learn to play it, I believe that we did. We really, really accomplished. For some people, they'll bounce off of it. Yeah. For sure. But 
but we accomplished the allowing players to get into the flow state of a real-time strategy game on a controller. Okay. That there's no, there's, there is never a sense for people who, who, who learn the game and really get into it. They will never, ever tell you that they would rather just be able to control things. Right. The traditional way. Okay. It's, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm asking it because it, basically based off of like how strict you were with the controls of Monaco, mm-hmm. right? It seems like you're very, you really didn't want people to have fussy controls in Monaco, right? Right. And Tooth and Tail, I feel like you guys did a good job. It's like, it's almost a completely impossible task to like really, yeah. because you had to, you had to spend a little time explaining to me all the different. Yeah, the I know. And that's mean. the you're part like, that I, that's why I hesitated when I said right. I'm happy. It's like when you're yeah. here, it means this thing. When you're here, it means that thing. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm sure that was a difficult process. Right? It was. And I would rather have not have had those three different contexts because I don't much like contextual differences and controls. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we, um, Early on, we had a control scheme that I really liked. And then when we were like, wait a second, this doesn't feel good on mouse keyboard. And mouse really? keyboard, the fact of the matter is for mouse keyboard is going to be, you know, 70% of our audience. Mm-hmm. So even if we, I love designing around the constraints of the controller because, sure. because constraints are always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also aware that like the majority of my audience is also is going to be playing on a mouse keyboard. So we have to make sure that the experience is satisfying. You couldn't them. make it just work differently. Did it actually change the game mechanics? Is that why you couldn't? Yeah. Just do so, it? so originally the right analog stick allowed you to offset your, um, your order position oh. within a certain range of the commander. Okay. Um, and there was just no way to duplicate that. You could. I mean, but I guess you'd have to use, use the, the mouse, mouse as a pointer. As right? a pointer. But the problem that I kept running into that I just felt like it was so unsatisfying is that we were constraining the range mm-hmm. of how far away you could offset your order. Right. So it was only by like six tiles or something right. like that. It was a circle that fit well within the screen. Right. Which makes which feels feels like it makes perfect sense when you're dealing with the right analog stick. But with a mouse. But with a mouse, it's right. it's frustrating. Yeah, it's it's like, frustrating. Am I over that confining. line or not or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, it just felt so bad. Yeah. Um, so uh, that forced us to make a lot of design decisions because the, the com- player commander then would have to, if the if the units are really only going to attack where the player commander is standing, that means the player, the commander is going to have to run all the way into enemy territory, like to to tell his army to attack this stuff, right? Um, which we tried to just embrace because you know if you go back and you look at like historical flag bearers, they really were the ones that were charging first into battle, and right. and there's stories about you know the flag keeps falling but someone keeps picking it up because if the flag if no one picks up the flag the army will assume they're routed, sure, um, mm-hmm. and they they won't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone's going to have to pick up that flag and that, that flag bearer generally is not carrying a weapon because the flag's big and heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we really had to sort of embrace that, that idea and then build all sorts of mechanics around like, well, because the enemy's army is going to scale up over time, it means that the, the commander is going to be more vulnerable towards the end. So we're going to have to allow the, the commander to have more hit points. How do we get the commander more hit points? Um, and that one, we're like, hey, let's not make it complicated. Every minute, they get ten more hits. Um, <laughs> All right. that's, and, that's very simple. Yeah. Um, In fact, I didn't even notice that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, but we still, you know, 
uh, we still sort of went back and forth on this because we, to some extent, there's this idea of like, we want the player to be able to deny the commander from being able to scout their base. And so we want the commander to be vulnerable enough, but not so vulnerable that they're going to get one shot when they walk near a cliff. Uh Um, and uh, so a really difficult problem to solve. And with regards to all the contextual actions on the controller, um, uh, we really felt like um, players really wanted to be able to focus fire. The high-level players wanted to be able to focus fire. Right. It was less interesting when they couldn't focus fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were certain types of units that were like became nearly impossible to kill if you couldn't choose to focus fire them, like right. turrets and stuff like that. Because you would just spam the the world with with cheap cannon fodder, and then they could never, you would never be able to kill that one thing that you just. I just want to kill that sniper, but my army won't attack it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we really wanted to have focus fire in, and for the longest time, we only had hold. The hold button was either it was going to be just focus fire or just retreat, mm-hmm. and and only at the very end did we add in the third context of like if you're next to an enemy, then it's focus fire, but not. Yep. If you retreat, um, or if you're not near the enemy, then it's retreat. Yep. Um, we did find that the two contexts worked pretty well because the idea of like, it feels good to hold, release, hold, release to kind of pull your army back yep. and then let them attack and then pull your army back and let them attack. Um, but we, we tried a, a lot of stuff like, um, sorry if this is getting too in the weeds. Um, uh, we tried stuff like, um, uh, clicking and releasing. We tried where clicking and releasing would uh, would essentially just that would be a focus fire in and of itself. Yeah. Um. So you could click somewhere and the and the, your army would ignore all threats along the way until they got there and they started attacking. Mm-hmm. Um. But it um, it led to some real problems of like units being once you did split your units off into multiple different places Mm -hmm. you had units that were just like completely vulnerable to being attacked because if the commander wasn't there to change what target they were attacking then they would just wouldn't do anything um uh so um yeah it we went back and forth and back and forth there's this one scene in arrested development Mm. where have you seen the show Mm -hmm. where tobias is talking to Lindsay and and Tobias is like, there's marriage is struggling. And mm-hmm. he's like, maybe we should date other people. She's like, does that work? Does that work for anyone? <laughs> he says, no, it never works for anyone. Yeah. But, but it might work for us. <laughs> <laughs> and I think of this scene every time because how many times have I like we we tried a design, it didn't work, right. we changed it, and then six, you know, six months later we're like, but maybe, maybe we should this, try that design again because this, this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you only have so many options, right? So yeah. I can see why you're going to have to. There's going to be a little bit of like circular right. design. You have to keep coming back to some of the stuff. Like yeah. maybe now enough has changed that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the maybe the characters because that's sure. kind of because you kind of you kind of came up with like a build your own faction right design right right um, was that how you saw it or did you ever it was originally like well like starcraft or something or like, no oh, i never oh. wanted to do factions because i never wanted even though i did get pulled into the the endless game of trying to balance the game for a competitive community sure i wanted to that um 
I tried to figure out all the tools that I could in order to avoid that problem. Right. Um, and coming from a game like Monaco, I was very conscious of the fact that that Monaco was imbalanced and it didn't matter. Okay. Yeah. That some characters are better than other characters. Yeah. Um, for it, but but I should say that because di- players have different play styles, it's it's. Um, some characters are just better for for player X, and some different sure. characters are better for player for player Y. Right. Um, and that's something I wanted to carry over to Tooth and Tail, where I wanted to encourage a player to play by their own play style, uh-huh. um, rather than uh, be forced into a particular play style because of a limited set of choices. Right. Um, so you wanted the characters to play very differently. Yeah, so the individual, so you can pick six characters to be in your army, and you should pick a couple of cheap ones, a couple of yeah. mid tier ones, a couple of boss units, and a, and a def- defensive structure, right? Right. Um, but you can do whatever you want, and people really do. You can in our competitive community, people really do play vastly different play styles. Right. Um, but it still does converge to a meta. So what are you going to do? Um, but I, I, I was really trying to to encourage or uh reward players to find their own style and get good at that style mm-hmm. rather than um min max to the the meta right um it was my goal for the past two years of the last two years of the game was to try and find ways to just eliminate the meta no meta no meta no meta if there's meta we're not doing our job uh, we never solved that problem sure um but the um, the choosing your army and having it be something where your player the opposing player doesn't even know what is it's coming what's coming right. was part of the idea that like um, the best players are the ones that can improvise and be creative and be unexpected. Right. Is there any? I'm trying to. I don't think there is. But is there any context given before you make your four choices or six choices? Con- uh, no, it doesn't tell you what the map's going to look like. It doesn't, and so there are times when you um, there are certain uh, unit types that are better for more open terrain, mm-hmm. and you get a little screwed by that. Right. Um, I guess. I guess what all I mean is like, if people are, do people just feel like, well, these are the six I play with, and like, uh, do people mix it up or not? I mean, like, it seems like if there's no sense of like, there's mm-hmm. and there's no counter picking, right? Of like, I saw he did this, and I'll do this, like. If you don't do right. that, like, what's the reason why you'd ever pick anything different than whatever you think are the best six for you? I mean, our high-level players get to know each other, and so okay. you tend to counterplay versus what you think the other guy's going to do. Uh-huh. Um, our, um, we ran a private alpha through most of development. Uh-huh. Um, our our best player, um, a guy named, uh, his handle is Deadbones. Uh, uh-huh. His name's Tim uh, Tim Ehren. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Uh-huh. Um is a sad story sorry preface um this is this is super sad <clears throat> he was our best player our biggest fan he had a thousand hours in the game mm-hmm. i talked about him all the time in interviews right. uh we balanced the game around him because he did specifically play to the idea of i'm going to win because i'm going to do something different every time i play wow okay. um and so when he was winning in our private tournaments we reinforced the stats uh-huh. and when he was losing we found ways to to nerf the stats of the players who who were beating him. Um, we because we figured that meant that there was one thing that you know the other yeah, yes. our our other best player was a little bit more of a I'm going to 
I'm going to do the math to try and figure out what is the best combination within, right. within the current balance, and then I'm going to use that to win. And that's useful just in a different way for balancing, right? <clears throat> okay. So uh, this goes off on a bit of a tangent because I can't describe him without without saying what happened. Um, uh, while we were at PAX two weeks before launch, we found out he killed himself. Oh, jeez. Um, he this is a he's a 21 year old kid. Yeah. He was from Sweden. The previous PAX, he had him and 13 other fans had come out to just hang out with us. Oh. And his mom told us that after he went home, that was the last time he said he was happy. Um, oh, wow. So there's That's a tribute right. to him throughout the game, okay. um, but it it led to a lot of stress right before launch, um, uh -huh. and was certainly a, a factor in um, in that not all of the team is still still together on uh working on on the next project of pocket watch games really wow. yeah we we the, the uh, end of development really turned into a lot of stress and, and that one in particular was that that event um okay. uh, just was uh was very very difficult oh that is sad um sorry to hear that that's, thank you um uh but tim tim just sweetest guy and and yeah we balanced the game around him because that was that was his how that's how he played the game and and this was he actually cared more about tooth and tail than really kind of anything Sure. Uh, at that you know uh towards the end and, and his mom would watch him play in tournaments and and spoken a lot with him his mom got to know her a little bit um, yeah 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 and uh um but yeah that was the he was the 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 the, the platonic ideal of of what we wanted in tooth and tail players um and it's something that we continue to you know that's the the goal for for uh what we wanted um yeah out of tooth and tail players yeah um I mean, we certainly have players in the off-world community that we know are like, they're just at a certain level that other players just haven't got to. So like, mm -hmm. we absolutely pay attention to how they play. And yeah, I mean, to some extent, I, I never, I wouldn't have ever put it this way, but yeah, we sort of balance the game around them, right? Mm -hmm. Like if they've, if they're playing a certain way, that means something, right? And right. like, to some extent, like you could have all the analytics in the world, but like, you know, these specific players, it's, it's better than almost anything any other tool right right but. and and it's it's a hard challenge too because those people are not game designers mm -hmm. and so you have to somewhat blindly trust the things that they're telling you right um but at the same time you can't necessarily always accept from a literal per, in a literal uh in a literal way what they're suggesting you should do about yeah. the problem you watch what they do i mean that's mm -hmm. that's the important thing right yeah right. Um, i mean oftentimes they will have good suggestions and good thoughts oh sure absolutely but, but the most important thing is like what are they actually doing i was talking to I, I can't remember his name now but he's the lead designer on magic the gathering for a, a while and, and mm -hmm. he's on a, a new project i was just talking to him like yesterday mm -hmm. um uh and he was saying that they encountered a similar problem but one of the benefits you mean of, the original like garfield or someone else? Uh, oh no it wasn't garfield it was someone else he's someone who had taken over right okay. as lead sorry okay, okay. uh um uh, but he said that the, um, one of the interesting things about having been around for so long mm -hmm. is that the, is that the people that have been playing for a long, long time are now significantly older. Some of them have even become game designers themselves. Sure, right. And so they've, they've learned how to give feedback. They've learned yeah. where, you know, they've even learned how to design within the philosophy of the game itself. Right, right. Um, so you could listen to them more than you could a typical right. like player. Right. right? Yeah, no, that's interesting. Oh. So, so yeah, um, uh, improvisation and creativity were were really the 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 things that we wanted to enforce. Um, 
We still find that players are are you know finding the meta, but on that that army selection screen, we mm-hmm. do include a randomized army button, yeah. and a lot of people just like to play with random. I I play random every game. Yeah. Um, Did I, you have a mode that like could enforce that? I mean, it seems like no, we no. So people will go into ranked matches, but they'll choose play random. random. Yeah, I do. That's wow. what I do. Well, I mean, I understand why you would. You're the designer <laughs> of the game, right? No, like it's like healthy for you to do that sure. but like you're not necessarily like winning is not your number one goal. yeah true, true right um, um and it's cool that other people do i just i i mean a lot of this comes down to like player count and stuff right yes. but like i could see like well what you know it seems like like having a, a, a you know having one of the the rank modes being like all random would be popular right i mean yeah we didn't want to split our community yeah that's 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 the issue right you know when you're the size of you know league of legends you can do all sorts of weird stuff of like (laughs) yep and even they don't actually do all that much really um so yeah but that's that's the main thing we like we have a hard enough time and that we have like 1v1 and four player ranked like that already like splits splits enough right and uh and like the and longer games too which is which is a big challenge yes yeah you're that's the thing that one of the things that really stuck out to me with tooth and tail is like the the, i mean we we did everything we could to get our match size down like it's super important that it's like not more than 30 minutes but like um and like we're kind of around the 20 minute range we we felt really great about 20 minutes good yeah Yeah. but like tooth and tail is like it's five to twelve yeah Yeah. i mean that's some of them you can go even shorter than that in some cases right so that's that's super rare to be able to be able to play a like a and it doesn't just and the weird thing is it doesn't feel like it's that short yeah we tried to we really tried to go to the idea of like we wanted to feel like a starcraft match in Mm -hmm. every possible way just condensed so we want all of the drama we want we want the same charts and graphs that show the same amount of skirmishes. We just want them. To, we want it to be denser. Yep. And a lot of this stuff really was very consciously with the idea of indie games with small player communities um, will die. Yeah. Um, and so we need to use every tool that we can invent um, to accommodate a small player community. So short player, short matches. Yeah. The rank mode is only one v one. So yep. we're not. Um, so there's always someone out there waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, we allow for custom lobbies. We allow you to join in progress as a spectator. So if there's active matches going on, you will see them in the lobby list and you can join and watch them rather than it seeming empty because people are just playing. Wait, sorry. Say that again? We have join in progress spectation. Oh, oh so, so the, game, go to the, lobby the list, game is going on. If you go to the lobby list, you'll see five games in progress. If we didn't have that... yeah. It would just look like no one's playing the game. Yeah, no, that's a really clever. I'm actually gonna um, write that down. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really clever idea. I didn't notice you guys did that. Um, um, we allow for mixed split screen and online play. So yeah, we've done some other stuff for like when you um, when you're in the queue waiting for the game, mm. like you can start a game. Okay, yeah, so you can right. play a single yep. player game. That kind of that was kind of our solution for mm-hmm. this this issue basically. The, like, the challenge is that the, the impression that no one's playing because yeah, yeah. no, it's a, that's an if issue you for sure. if you. I think that's a really good tool, but at the same time, if you don't have the impression that you will find a match, yeah. then you might not bother. Sure. Um, yeah. So you got to, I think, I think it's important to just have a lot of tools or just to have a big community. Yeah. <laughs> you know? we, we have to hustle, you know, we got to do all yeah. the random stuff. Like, you know, like when the game starts, you know, you get your menu screens, a single player, multiplayer. If there's anyone waiting for the queue, there'll be a little thing there, like oh, wow. one player waiting, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so, you know, like, okay, I can, if I, if I, Jump, jump in now. I'll get the game right away. Cool. Right. I should add that. He <laughs> just take some notes. We should talk. <laughs> we should talk. Yeah, like yeah. we haven't been for the last three. <laughs> <We should. laughs> 
yeah, but yeah, it's totally true. Like you have to pull out every stop, every little yeah. trick you can to like you know to cobble this community together because they're like there are enough players, but you just have to kind of figure out a way to right. like match them up, you know. And yeah, I mean, you look at our player count and it's like you know 60, 70, 70 concurrent players, which is not enough for a community, except for the fact that like we did literally everything almost everything you can do yep. and and as such it actually is viable right um if you don't do everything 60 70 concurrent players is not this enough it's rough yeah yeah. yeah yeah um maybe we should talk about the campaign a little bit sure um, so yeah. you, you wrote the the kind of the well i don't know how to put it but, I, but the where the strikes might the traditional story-based yeah. campaign right? right that you have in rts which is something that like i don't think i would ever do because i mean i'm just I'd be terrible at writing a story, right? But like, um, it's also that's a lot of content to create. Yeah, we 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 um, we worked on the multiplayer forever and ever and ever, and then I mm. added the single player in the last eight months or so. Okay. Uh, and f- I think that we probably it would have been wise for us to wait another two months to really balance the single player because if because we got pretty frequent criticisms of the single player being. Uh, too challenging, having some really hard difficulty spikes that mm-hmm. I just needed time to QA it and I didn't have time to QA it. Yeah. Um, Did you consider a more dynamic campaign as opposed well, to a story-based I mean, one? Uh, yes. Early on, there we knew that we wanted to have some sort of single-player content mm-hmm. because of the stories sure. of yeah. no one actually plays multiplayer. Right. Um, and this was another tool for us to be like, hey, um, we don't want people to, to say no one no one's playing that game so don't bother buying it so right. we wanted people to have a reason to buy it even if no one is sure. playing it yeah. um and by the way we've i've rebalanced the game several times the single player since launch to smooth all that stuff out right. but right. you know you miss your launch spike on that you miss your reviews and all that yeah um so originally it was just going to be like four scenarios with a custom rule set mm-hmm. um that were supposed to be highly highly replayable um, and once I started implementing, um, I had Andy come up with a bunch of ideas about Andy Wynn come up with a bunch of, I, he basically, I was just like, go do the market research and mm-hmm. find all of the most popular single player levels and rule variants okay. sure. in yeah. games out there and, and we'll, we'll rip them off. Yep. We'll straight up rip them off. Yeah. Um, and he went out and made this giant spreadsheet and came back and I was like, I started to implement and I started layering rules on top of each other and mm-hmm. I started coming up with tweaks and I already had like 16 levels. Right, yeah. <laughs> and um, the the infrastructure of the game was built such that it was actually really easy to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just wrote the quickest, dirtiest code and, and over six months and we and we and I wrote uh, actually ended up writing a really pretty deep story with a lot of dialogue yep. and yep. we built these hubs to really give character to the world and and all that and um uh it's a it's a big campaign it's like 15 hours really yeah. um and it's got a great twist at the end um it's it's a cool I mean we were I'm super proud to have been nominated for the narrative award. I, mm-hmm. It came out of the blue. I was not expecting it in the slightest. We were the only not like narrative based game right. to get it was, nominated. It's probably not your original goal when you started the no, project. No, <laughs> by no means, but it's a cool world. It's about animals. Yeah. yeah how did you and, choose that? I was wanting to ask that at some point too. Yeah, like, so, how did you come upon this kind of. So it's about, so the, the story is about animals at rev, in, in revolution over who gets to eat and who's going to have to be the meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
when we were normally I like to design sort of theme first and then mm-hmm. extract the mechanics from the theme. Um, but this time around we, we'd started with the real time strategy yeah. formula. Um, and uh, our, my current community manager, um, Brian Franco came up with this cool idea. He was like, what about like backyard animals? Mm-hmm. And that struck a chord for me. And I was like, I started thinking about backyard animals. I'm like, Animals in your backyard, it's actually like super brutal existence. Sure. If you put backyard animals in the context of what we expect from a human existence, you're constantly afraid of literally being killed. Mm-hmm. Like you are constantly afraid of starving. Mm-hmm. A cat could come around the corner at any time and kill you if you're mm-hmm. a squirrel or a bird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... And and yet at the same time they seemingly have a little society. You know, right. the the crow is cawing at those mm-hmm. over there, and then the crow is harassing the hawk, and the hawk is killing the mice, mm-hmm. and the rats are crawling along the you know the yep. lines, and it's a mean, brutal world that is largely run around death and food. Mm-hmm. Um, and that then thinking about how to set this in the context of a war game, uh. Drew, I drew inspiration from the Russian Revolution. The Russian Revolution is, is really started largely because the farmers were hoarding food. All of the 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 food was all being sent off to the front in World War One. Right, and so the farmers were like, we we don't have enough left, so they start hoarding it. And so the people in the cities, the people that are left in the cities, are starving. Right, um, and that's what caused them to to rise up. Yeah, um, and. Um, and so within the context of, of um, and then, and then that era is also industrial revolution too. Right. So there's all these changes to human society that are occurring. Right. And so that's where this idea of like, what if all the animals have just recently in their version of the industrial revolution is mm-hmm. that they've all decided that it's no longer fashionable to eat vegetables. Everyone eats meat. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and but it this is obviously a limited resource and and right. no one can agree upon who's going who's to be the meat, the meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's that's so that's the, the formation of the story yeah. um and, and yeah we i wanted to there was always this push and pull between like how do are we gonna have a lot of blood in this game mm-hmm. is it gonna and we we're like nope nope let's make it happy go lucky the entry point the front door to this game is that it's cute <laughs> there's <it's> animals, animals. <laughs> And then you look under the hood you're and like, you're like, oh, oh. no. <laughs> right. That's good. Because um, the art is largely inspired by like Seeker and Nim and like yep. some of these, you know, the Don Bluth animated mm-hmm. stuff, which is really dark. Sure. Yeah, really yeah. dark. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, obviously today these, these things are described as furry things, but it's certainly, I don't, I would, I would never describe it as furry. I'd describe it as anthropomorphic and, and, mm-hmm. And I liked this because because it's when you're introduced to a real time strategy game for the first time, one of the most confusing things is trying to figure out the different units and their relationships to one another. Because right. visually, I look back at like Total Annihilation, and every unit looks the same, and mm-hmm. it's impossible to read what you, one unit's strength is versus another one. Yep. Um, and with animals, you instantly have sure. know the function of the animal right. within that society, and yeah. you know the power relationships between them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're yeah. They 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 each have assumptions about them that they bring to the game with them right. already. Skunk has gas. Yes, yeah. <laughs> for example. Um, 
All right, cool. So, uh, what are your thoughts now about Tooth and Tail after it came out? Like, what, how do you reflect on the project? Uh, it's gone great. Um, yeah. I, I, it's the first game that I where I didn't burn out after launching the game. Okay. Um, and sold well. Um, still selling. Um, not. I. I don't think we've knocked it out of the park. So you know, mm-hmm. obviously, you, you wish every game knocks it out. Of the sure. Park. Um, but I'm I'm really satisfied that we did what we set out to do, and we and it paid for itself, right. which is not easy for a four year project. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I really feel like the most important thing, you know, as an indie, is like for finding out a way for sustainable development. Yeah. Right. So you and can't you can't you can't be expecting a Monaco. Nah, it's yeah. just like that's not realistic. That's yeah. not you know this is not how how life works. Like like. We have to be able to, you know, you have to be able to have a career where you have a number of tooth and tails, right? Right, and be able right. to like, you know, extend that because that's, you know, it's, you know, may, you know, at some point it could happen again, right? But that's it's just not, you know, that's the hope. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if 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 there's anything we failed at is that it did take four years. Um, sure, I'm extremely satisfied with what the game is and yep. and how people have reacted to it. Um, so if there's any lessons to be learned, they're really just in the weeds on the development side. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with, uh, with the game and, 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 you know, when I, when I did originally set out and say, I'm going to solve this controller RTS problem, I'm, I'm confident in saying that like, yeah, there may be other solutions to it, but, but we, we did it. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised it took that long because I mean, you were, you were doing something fundamentally New. new right yeah so, I mean, yeah. just that's that's what it takes you yep know? And, and it's honestly a huge benefit that you had a very small team right because if you had the burn if, twice, the burn rate was higher, if, if you had twice the iterated. people you guys would have failed yeah right because it, what you couldn't have figured it out in two years you needed four years yep period, yep know? yep that's absolutely true um and uh um yeah i'm uh i'm excited to be be able to carry the lessons we learned from this project to so what's next? All right, cool. So, uh, so you want to talk at all about what you're thinking of doing next, or? Sure. Yeah, I can. I'll go briefly. Tell you what. This is, I this I'm in the pre. You know, I haven't greenlit this project right. to be to spend any money on it yet. Right. Um, but uh, so this I could scrap this tomorrow. Sure. Um, and so don't no one consider this any sort of game announcement. This is the early. So, and also, before you've really honed a pitch, sometimes the pitch is not as exciting as it eventually be- sure. eventually becomes. Um, but I'll give you the basics of what I'm working on right now. Okay. That is that I'm making a game for all those people that say in their OKCupid profiles that they love hiking, but they never actually do. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah. Explain so, more. <laughs> so it is a hiking slash orienteering slash survival-ish game, backpacking, camping game. Okay. Um, in which you can roast marshmallows, give each other piggyback rides. It's co-op. It's a super happy, friendly game until the day that you decide that you want to try and figure out how to get over that snowy mountain pass mm-hmm. that maybe no one's ever been over before. Right. You get stuck in the snow and you have to end up eating each other. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, so yeah, it's a cooperative, um, it's, it's, it's an RPG that, Mm -hmm. um, where we've largely, uh, removed the, the combat mechanics and Mm -hmm. made it a game about literally about you versus the environment, but not in a brutal survival game sort of way, Mm -hmm. but more about like 
really trying to figure out how to get from here to there. Okay. So, um, you know, a Lewis and Clark style exploration sure, um, okay. All right. game. Uh, I've found some interesting things so far. Like, um, there's a, I have, the, I have a map in the game. It's a topographic map. And, and uh, um, I found that if I update the player's position on the map, it ruins the game. Um, if you don't update the player's position on the map, it forces the player to be like, okay, so this mountain is that, this mountain is that, and if I want to get to there, I'm going to have to go between the mountains, I should run into a river, and if when I run into a river, turn right, go to till I hit a forest, and then look to my left. Right. And So, so you mean you're not, you're not drawing the, the player on the map? Right. Is that what you mean, basically? Yeah, right. right. Yeah, sure. Not By not drawing the player on the map. Yeah, so it, there's a map, and you, the player has to literally figure out the way you would in the real world. Right. 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 So, um, uh, and this is largely inspired by, by, you know, I played a lot of RPGs as a kid with mm -hmm. my dad and yeah. I also went backpacking with my dad and we would take a topographic map and pick some lake in the Sierra Nevadas to go to that mm -hmm. was off trail. Okay. And we'd Just see go. See do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that feeling of finding a place that maybe you feel like no one's, I'm sure someone's been there, but sure. you feel like no, you feel like you're the first person to have found it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is a, is a really, really compelling thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't much like Skyrim, mm -hmm. but I love it as a hiking sim. Okay. It's a, it's a, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not the first person that I, to have said that a lot of people, you know, really like a lot of RPGs just as games where they get to go explore the wilderness and right. they don't, it's not that I'm averse to combat. I, I, I like some games with combat, but, right. but in particular Skyrim to me is it's best as a hiking sim. Right. Are you? Thinking to do like random map generation, so you can it's replayable. Yeah, or? I think it. The, what I'm planning for right now, and but this is one that is very subject to change, right. is uh, procedural generation, um, but not, um, but not allow the, but uh, um, not actually unlock new seeds until the community has actually, until the community as a whole has actually mapped the oh. continent. The continent. Yeah. So you know, it's not co-op in that everyone is in the same uh -huh. one at the same time, but it the community will share that like, hey, I've been to this portion and I've mapped this portion of a continent, mm -hmm. and and so the community works together to so map a continent. There's and continent that, zero and that unlocks the next seed. Right. And once it's there's continent zero, and once right. it gets fully mapped, it goes to continent one. But how does what defines mapping? Because you're not updating where the player is. It's not like well, an RPG I, where you're like uncovering yeah. the black, right? So. Right now, the way it works is sort of Zelda-like. You you find the tower or something along okay. those lines, which gives you a new chunk. So of there's map. landmarks yeah. that you, you gotta get to. Yeah, okay. yeah then that's one of the problems with procedural generation is making the player care about yeah. it. Um, and uh, um, uh, you know, No Man's Sky I think struggles with with this. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's a that's. That's the high-level problem that I think needs to be solved to make the an exploration yeah. game uh, work. Because if you, because I, I think it it kind of needs to be procedurally generated because I want it to be something that people can yeah. play for a long, long time, not just play through a single story yeah. and and feel like they understand the entirety of it. Okay. I want them to be able to truly feel like it's an endless world to explore, but at the same time have meaning to the things that they're exploring. Right. And that's a that's a challenge I haven't yet found the answer to, but maybe that's what I'll spend the next four years doing. Right. Okay. Well that sounds interesting. <laughs> the community concept is really, really sounds interesting. Like that idea of like uh, you know, you know, you've got you can keep making maps, but you don't just give them out randomly. Right. Like you have a certain order to it. So right. that's cool.
Cool. All, All right. right. Well, what I usually like to finish with is, um, you know, asking like, you know, now that you've kind of gone through the whole career, you know, looking back, you know, why is it that you, you know, made video games your life's work? Wow. Um, I think that if I, if it, I think that if I'm being honest, um, I, I'd like, I'd like to be able to give you the answer that is based upon all of the, the value that I've found over my life and, and all the, the, the ways in which I found tremendous positivity through um, playing games and making games, mm-hmm. uh, you know, finding that with my ecosystem games, they were used in classrooms and kids were, were getting way higher test scores after, because they, because these young kids are learning about ecosystems in mm-hmm. a, you know, in an engaging way. Um, hearing stories, a story of a brother who reconnected with his, his distant remote brother through playing Monaco every night. And they, mm-hmm. they hadn't, they talked twice in 10 years and, but they right. reconnected. Um, uh, the friendships that have been made through our alpha community in Tooth and Tail um, that have become really strong, uh, long-lasting friendships. Um, I I think I'd, I'd like to be able to answer that question from the perspective of the the game player. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can't honestly say that it's not because I don't. It's it's not the other side of the coin though, and that it's the, I just like making the games. Sure, I like constructing the maze. Mm-hmm. Um, I like you know I when I said that I'm I I'm the coyote when I play games I'm the coyote I'm the trickster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part. That's of the it. role that I play. You know I'm I'm the guy that gets to manipulate you mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 surprise you. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And so, uh, it w- while it'd be nice to take the perspective of, well, I'm bringing joy to people, maybe it's just because I like to watch you squirm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's, it's good to be aware of both goals. Right? <laughs> That's good. Good. Cool. Uh, All right. Well, thanks for taking part. I think this was a very great. I think this was great. Awesome. Thank you, Thorne. Cool. Mm-hmm.